Tonight's talk is called, So You Like to Think, <laughs> whether you like it or not. <laughs> it's just something that this mind does, and it's really something to live with. We find that this mind thinks. This mind might think a lot. And we might find that we are often really involved and lost in this thinking process. And, you know, it just weaves layer after layer of the web of delusion where, you know, we just don't know what to believe anymore. And we feel so confused by what moves through our minds. We also find that, you know, sometimes thoughts are really creative. Sometimes thoughts are really high-valued. Many of us have been trained to think, to think constructively, to use, to use the thought process in a very constructive way. And some of us may even be highly paid for the use of this thinking process. And yet, you know, it, we find, even when we, even when we know how to use it in certain ways, there's other ways where that same... Uh, capacity of the mind might turn on us, might become our worst enemy. It might become the way that we find that we just get all locked up inside. And so it's really valuable to learn how to be a friend to this aspect of our experience. And these thoughts are a natural function of the mind, something it does. Like the nose smells, the eyes see, the tongue tastes. There's this capacity of the mind to think. And it is useful in our lives just to plan to come here. We had to think of what might be needed. We use this capacity. It is something that is very helpful on the relative level. But we really have to learn to see its usefulness. We need to learn to see when it is spinning this web of confusion. And we need to learn to rest at times in a place between thoughts. Many of us may have discovered that as soon as the mind starts to quiet down, this fear arises, and suddenly there's this chatter in the mind. I remember doing one retreat where I nicknamed myself Chatty Kathy. You know, it was just this chat, 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 chat. And, you know, there was just some level of discomfort in being with the space between thoughts. And all of it is natural in our experience. All of it we need to learn to be with, to make a friend of, and to become the master so that thought is used where appropriate, but the thoughts are not running our lives. The sad part of the world today is that so many of the thoughts that are based in misperception 
are the thoughts that get acted upon, that we speak through, and we create immense harm from. Because we haven't learned to be with the thinking process. We haven't learned to be aware of it. We haven't learned to see thoughts in their nature and are thereby run by our thoughts. And as we sit, we realize what a scary idea this is. Because if your retreats are anything like my retreats have been, the mind will think about anything. It will replay past experiences over and over again as if we can get them right this time, as if we can change them. It will obsessively plan about doing the most minute thing. I mean, how many times do we need to think about when we're going to do our laundry? How many times do we need to think about what we're going to wear tomorrow? What socks? I mean, I mean, I've watched the mind obsess about socks that I'm going to wear. I, you, know, it's, you know, it can be the most mundane things. Or caught in a loop about what we're going to say in our next interview. And, you know, we just can't break the spell of it. We're just caught in it. So, thinking mind, we just begin knowing this is an aspect of experience. And this often rubs against our ideas about meditation. I was, I was just reading recently somebody saying, it's probably going to take a few decades or you know, who knows how long for this concept that meditation is to stop thoughts. It's just somehow is something that many of us have gravitated towards. And I, you know, who knows where it even came from. But it doesn't allow for the fact that the mind thinks. And so it sets up this aversive relationship to get rid of, to shut up, to silence. And it also sets up, I'm no good. Look at this mind. It's thinking. Here it goes again. It just won't stop. It's incessant. It's obsessive. And then we're a failure. We don't want to meditate. We see racing thoughts. What good is that? But, you know, just like everything else, anything can be used. Anything can be brought into the realm of meditation. And that's when we become aware of. I'd actually like to share with you a recent experience where I ventured into the terrain of the thinking mind uh, the way that the mind likes to make assumptions, and how constricted and tight that world of thought can be. This actually yeah, happened right before I was about to come to the Forest Refuge. Uh, it was the day before my wedding anniversary, 
with my husband. He was leaving that night to go to Australia. And we were going to be apart for about six weeks. So it's kind of put pressure on the situation. That um, it's just the sense of you know, wanting to get the juice of this moment, these last minutes together. You know, it's so precious. You know, just really valuing this time, but you know, the grasping mind comes in. And you know, it's our wedding anniversary on top of that, or would be, but we'll be apart once again. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, there, there's kind of this pressure on this day, and it's this precious morning, and he's going to have to pack in the afternoon, so we really have the morning to be together. And so we decide that we are going to go for a bike ride through this wonderful park that we live near, and then go to a coffee shop and have lunch. And this is a park we often ride in together. And we have different habits of riding our bikes. He gets on and he just bolts. He goes as fast as he can. And me, I get on, I, I ride, I look around. You know, I'm on a leisurely Sunday morning ride. And this is the same when we hike, when, you know, when, well, actually, when we go anywhere. You know, he's in front of me, I'm behind. <laughs> it's just the way it is, you know, and we've learned to um, happily coexist in this. So we get on the bikes, and he really bolted that morning. It's like, whoa, look at him go. And it's like, you know, me and my normal one, just, it was a gorgeous day. And so um, I'm riding along, and you know, I keep riding, and then I realize I'm approaching a crossroad where because we're going to do something different than we normally do, going to this coffee shop, I'm not quite sure which way. Were we going to go our regular route, or were we going to go kind of more straight to the coffee shop? And so I thought, well, he'll be waiting when I get to the crossroads. I get to the crossroads. He's not there. Whoa, you know, he didn't wait. I couldn't believe it. He didn't wait. He wasn't there. I mean, how could he do that? How, you know, how am I supposed to know what to do? And so I think, well, you know, we're going to the coffee shop. I'll keep going, and I'll, I'll see if he's in this next section. And if he's not there, there's really a point there where I think he'd wait. So I ride this section, no trace of him. I, st I stand and I wait on my bike. And I wait and I wait. And he doesn't come. And you know, the thought is in the mind. This park is such that I could get really lost. I mean, we could just be missing each other all day in the park. It doesn't make sense to go looking for him. So I thought, well, I'll just wait. And then, you know, after a while, well, you know, maybe he just thought we should go on to the coffee shop. And I was pretty mad at this guy that didn't wait. You know, I, I was getting really mad. And, and, you know, and so I thought, okay, I'll ride to the coffee shop, which I have to say was really a test to my um, memory. I don't remember these things very well. I'm very good at following along, <laughs> but I'm not so good at figuring out where to go. But I made it to the coffee shop. He's not there. And you know, at that time, he, he had the cell phone. He had the money. He had the keys to the apartment. I have on this biking clothes that has no pockets, right? You know, and it's like, there I am, coffee shop, no money. It's getting hot. No phone to call, say, where are you? 
And so I sit and I wait. He doesn't turn up. You know, and I've, at that point, I think I started to worry, could something have happened to him? And then I thought, well, okay, I'll ride back to that last place I had waited because between that spot and the coffee shop, there was no way we were going to miss each other. So I go back to that spot. He's not there. And then, you know, by this time, the morning <laughs> is pretty much over. And at some point, I decided, okay, I'm just going to ride home. I'll go see if the manager will let me in, at least to the building. You know, maybe I'll have to sit outside, but I'm going to go home and just wait there. And so, you know, I start heading home. I get very near home, and I see him. And, and I'm, you know, I could see the look on his face that he had been through a torment equal to what I had been through. And then it was so interesting. It was like, well, where has your mind been? And he looked at me and he said, I always wait for you. And, you know, I know that's true. And he, I had made him out to be this guy that did not wait. So where did we go wrong? What, what happened? And it was a really simple thing. He had been waiting for me. It had been the first area that we go through where he usually waits. But there was a lot going on when I hit that area. There was um, a couple that was jogging that I had to navigate around. There was a guy with a little puppy, and he was on his bike, and he was pulling this little cart with his puppy. And it was just a lot of things to navigate. And I never picked up that he wasn't there until I got to the next crossroads. And he had actually been circling around, and he hadn't seen me come through. So I had made the assumption that he was in front of me when he never was. You know, and it was like just one wrong assumption, and boom, 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 you're off in the boonies. And what was really interesting was how just in the sharing of what had gone through each of our minds and seeing, like when I was riding my bike, here it was this gorgeous sunny day, and usually I ride in that park, my heart's wide open, and you know, just seeing, smiling at people, taking in the birds, the sun, the whole experience, and I had just been locked into, where is he? Why isn't he waiting? How come he's not here? The morning's passing by. We're losing all this time together. And I was just so angst. And he had been equally as angst. You know, and he had, he had gone. It's funny, we were each going back and forth on opposite parts of the, the path. He kept going between the, uh, the middle point and home, and I was you know, going the other way. <laughs> you know, it was just... It was just seeing how we can really suffer when we start to believe thoughts that aren't true, that we lose track, we get caught in, and we create these universes. And we know these universes are made up of events from the past, the story of our lives, the fantasies about the future, fantasies about the moment, you know, that it just becomes this universe we get lost in. 
I, I love to see how, how thought really does that by walking outside or, you know, just walking and being present and then just seeing how thought comes and you, you attach, you identify, you're trailing along with the thought and, you know, you lose every, all awareness of what's going on around you. It's these universes of, of fabrication. You know, just concepts, memories. You know, there, there is a way that a thought of a memory can be a present moment experience, but that's not when we're lost in it. You know, we, and we just have this tendency to really get involved in all that passes through the mind. looking in the course of a day to see what your relationship to the thinking mind is. You know, there's times when it's greatly entertaining, where we just, oh, you know, it's, it's so much easier to be lost in a thought than to be present. You know, that we you can use it as an escape route, you know, so that we don't need to be present. You know, sometimes there's unpleasant experience. And, you know, suggest to let the mind drift off, think about, you know, something nice from the past, remembering somebody we love, and just kind of relishing in that, languishing in it. And, you know, time passes away. It's time to get up and walk. Well, it passed quickly. You know, and sometimes, it, you know, it's like a sedative. Sometimes we find that... Uh, you know, we just like to kind of create ideas about how things are. And maybe, maybe it stems from a moment of insight, a moment of clear seeing, but then we start to make new world theories about it. You know, and we, we really start to get into proliferation around. And, you know, thoughts about the Dharma are actually sometimes the most compelling thoughts. You know, we'd rather think about the Dharma then realize the Dharma. You know, and then, you know, it's just a whole intellectual mind that's just, you know, rummaging around. And, you know, well, yeah, look at it this way, this way, this way. But it's not looking to. I mean, there really is a way that we use thought in a skillful manner. And I'll speak a little bit more about that later on. But many times, it's just this great proliferating capacity that is there when it's like we indulge in our thoughts. And the beauty of meditation is just the seeing how, in one way, that's really flat. It really doesn't provide the joy, the happiness, the deep contentment that we think it might. You know, that it, it's just the wheels churning and churning and churning. You know, it can be a form of the restless mind. You know, so the restless mind wants something to do, something to gnaw on. You know, like a, a, a dog gnawing on its bone. Just come, you know, give it something to grind away on. And all we really need to do 
is to recognize that, to be aware, to be aware in the process of thinking. Some of us might have the idea that we can't. You know, thoughts are seductive. You know, they are tantalizing. And so sometimes we carry the idea that you just can't be aware of them. And so I'd really like for us to do a short exercise together this evening. And this is around, I mean, I found it really helpful, just around being able to notice the difference between thinking and awareness. So for a moment, just really relax and let the mind be. be with whatever experience is present. It's letting the mind be natural and yet aware. And then we're going to consciously generate thoughts. You can let the mind think. It can think about anything. And you want to have one thought after another, after another. Just keep perpetuating the thinking. And the whole time that you're thinking, be aware of the thinking. So just letting the mind think. You can think, I hate this. I don't want to do this. This is stupid. Uh, Oh, there's so many thoughts. Oh, look, there's no thoughts. What am I going to do? There's no thoughts. Just letting it go, letting it think and think and think. And never losing sight that thinking is occurring. Keep generating. Any thoughts? And then just relax. Let the mind be. Okay, so it's just around being able to be aware of thoughts. The thought being like a cloud in the sky. You know, it might be in the form of words, sentences, might be images, might be singing, it might be impressions. 
you know, thoughts at different times are experienced differently. Sometimes the thoughts are really loud, very easy to see, and sometimes they're very quiet. It's almost like they come in through the back door. Sometimes it might be a thought that's so close to our experience. You know, it can be about the breath, you know, where we're thinking about the experience of the breath, or thinking about our experience in some way, and we actually think we're with the experience, but it's really just thinking about the experience, or the commentary. We just want to shift into a relationship of knowing that this is occurring. And as we do so, we see that sometimes the thought disappears. This is a way of being in touch with impermanence. You know, that nothing's feeding the thought. It was there in one moment. It's gone in the next. Sometimes we see that the thought continues. And then we just use it to be aware, to be a support to being present. And so we do this by, you know, just it's like observing it, much like we watch a movie in a theater. You know, we, if we're aware that we're watching the movie, it's like not being lost in the movie. In the same sense with thoughts. You know, very much like I've heard the description of an old man sitting on a park bench, and he's watching children play, and he's watching them, but he's not involved in it. And this is something of the sense of being aware of the thoughts. being aware of the thoughts, then we might start to see at times they, t- they take hold, grab, become identified with. And that's where we start to struggle. That's where you know, the suffering begins to happen. It isn't just because the thoughts arise. You know, they're just another experience. But it's that identification, with, that grasping, that Philip has been talking about in relationship to the second noble truth. But if we're going to have a friendly relationship with these thoughts, it's, okay, the grasping happens. What's happening here? You know, if we berate ourselves or hard on ourselves, you know, I'm stuck in this again, here it is again, you know, it's just not helpful. But it's it, you know, looking at this world of thought and what the pull is. What's that that's seducing us? What's the enchantment with? And, you know, that can be either pleasant, the loving of, relishing in. It can be the fear of, the hating, the aversion to, the not wanting. You know, in some way, we're just not letting these thoughts be. I'd like to uh, share a teaching from Sony Rinpoche. He's a, a Tibetan monk or lama. And this is his 
teaching around thoughts. These discursive thoughts come and go, come and go, but this is nothing. It's just the nature of the journey. In fact, it's just like a highway with a lot of cars going backwards and forwards on it. You can't hold on to the cars even if you wanted to. And likewise, our mind has a lot of discursive thoughts coming and going all the time, and you can't hold on to them either. If you get lost in grasping at them, that's not good. If you do not get lost in grasping at them, that is good. If you want to know what is good and not good, it's not whether thoughts arise or not, it's whether you grasp them or not. Appearances appearing or not appearing is beside the point. If discursive thoughts arise and you think this is good, then in fact that is not so good. And he goes on to say, in brief, whatever comes up in the mind is all right. The point is to be completely free of fixation and grasping. For example, if you think, I am going to kill Sokni Rinpoche, that is nothing in itself. But if you get involved in a heavy train of thought in which you fixate on those thoughts, then that is not at all right. Apart from that, whatever comes up is fine. It is mind's quality to produce thoughts, and it will produce some truly rotten thoughts and some truly wonderful thoughts. There is the whole of samsara, isn't it? So the thought isn't the problem. It's owning the thought that is the problem. The way that thoughts work is that at first they are very subtle, and then if you keep developing them, they get thicker and thicker until finally they become something that you don't like at first. There is very small aversion to it, which then, because you continue to think about it, turns into anger, which grows until in the end you strike out at the thing you don't like. So let go when it first appears. A real practitioner practices that way. So he's really highlighting the fact that these thoughts themselves are not a problem. It's that buying into, that believing, that relishing, that identification with. But just the scene. I mean, the scene of how thoughts come and go. It's so freeing. Know that we can have habits of thought that come round and around and around. But it's interesting when we really start to see they're not always there. How can we be fear when it's not always there? And we can have this pattern. I mean, fear is really one really intense place to see how a thought identified with can have a huge impact. You know, that just some random thought coming through the mind, and if it's identified with... I know for me, um, many times, the imagination can go wild around body sensations. And so you get some new body sensation, and, you know, in an instant, it's cancer. You know, how soon can we get to the doctor? Uh Uh-oh, it's terminal. There we are on our deathbed. You know, it's just like really quickly, 
the mind just goes there. It's, it's humbling to see how quickly that whole process can happen. And, you know, if you just feel what happens in those moments, you feel, I, I mean, you, we can't help it. This is where wisdom and compassion come together. How can you not be compassionate for this being that can get so tormented in a split second? And it's just that one thought that we identified with. One of the things that um, Sokni Rinpoche often talks about is like to just, with thoughts, be like a doorman. You greet all of the thoughts that come, but the doorman doesn't follow after all of the guests that come. So you greet them, they're there. You use them. Awareness. Awareness of thinking. But just don't follow. So in this, we really need to establish a direct relationship. And that's where it's okay to see a thought. It's okay to have a thought. It doesn't need to ruin the calm, the peace. It's just a thought. It's just another appearance in the mind. And so, you know, to see what a thought is, because they are very different at different times. I mean, even that the mind distinguishes it's a thought is kind of interesting. Now, looking at that whole process, images, you know, some people really get a lot of imagery. You know, it's a form of thought. It's a form of the conceptual mind. You know, for me, after a day of typing, it appears in letters, and the keyboard appears in my mind. Um, you know, that, that some people find that their thoughts almost sing. You know, or, or there's just kind of a wispy impression. You know, sometimes the thoughts are really subtle. You might even feel like the mind about to think. And it doesn't matter whether it's gross or subtle. Not to, you know, value it. Oh, this is a really subtle thought. Oh, really good. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. Because you just want to be aware of how it is. And it's the awareness that's important. So we're just, you know, we use these experiences. We use this thought process. And then, you know, being aware of thoughts, we really can also see the condition, you know, how things are conditioned. You know, you walk outside and it's a gray day, and it might stimulate really depressing thoughts. No, but we recognize that. So what? You know, it's just glomer thoughts. But we just see that, the, you know, things are in relationship to other things. And that, you know, on a beautiful sunny day, or we hear really um, music that touches our heart, there's a certain type of thought. You know, we don't have to define ourselves by it. We don't have to become it. But, you know, looking at thoughts, we, we, we start to see the interplay with emotion. You know, how they come so often, you know, wrapped up together. And yet we see there's an aspect that is a concept in the mind. It might be a belief, a view, opinion, and there might be a whole mood around it. I mean, look at the mind when there's a self-righteous thought. What's the atmosphere like there? And, you know, we feel the self-righteousness. 
I mean, feel the pull of it. Feel the inflation of I, me, mine. And just be with that experience. Be aware in that experience. I find that you know, being with thoughts has the, the same sense that I often get with many uh, experiences is just that really listening to it. But listening to the thought is not so much listening to the content of the thought. That content of the thought will have an impression to it. It, will have, it can have waves that ripple from it. You want the totality of the experience. You don't, you don't want to be caught in the story that the thought is about. So to really, it's a, a thought is there. And just, you know, what's the mind like now? Is there an impact to the thought? If the thought's picked up and believed, you know, you can question, is it really true? Is this useful? And again, you're not going to figure that out, but you listen. The sense of, I don't know, listening to me, I think I may have mentioned it a few weeks ago, just that sense of receptivity with experience. We just are receiving experience, but it's not about the experiences. It's about the awareness of these. And so that's where thought can be used. And thoughts, you know, they they help us to understand cause and effect. We can really see it through this world of thought. I mean, just seeing an angry thought in the mind has an effect. Seeing a thought of loving kindness in the mind, a thought of generosity, a benevolence of heart, it has an effect if we pay attention. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes they're really mundane thoughts. And there's not so much, you know, it's more like just a formation in the mind, an appearance in the mind. But learning to pay attention to mundane thoughts is really valuable because actually there is many repetitive, mundane activities we do in our lives. Learning to pay attention to mundane thoughts helps us to pay attention when there isn't so much stimulus, when it isn't so exciting, when it isn't so enthralling. It can be very valuable. Chanol, a Korean Zen master in the 11th century, said, Don't be afraid of your thoughts. Only take care lest your awareness of them is tardy. Living in a place where we don't need to be afraid of our thoughts, the mind that thinks, 
but needing to take care lest our awareness of them is tardy. If you just think about it, (laughs) think about it. (laughs) All of these thoughts that come through the mind, if they can be used as a support to meditation, some of us have a lot of opportunity. You know, that, that, that they can be helpful. But just watching where we like to get seduced by them. There, let's see if I can find it. I, ca- I once came across this um, quote that it, it pointed to my own mind. I don't know about yours. I won't project on that. Um, This is from a Tibetan teacher, Geshe Shawopa. He says, do not rule over imaginary kingdoms of endlessly proliferating possibilities. I mean, just so many times in my own practice, there's been this, you know, the sense that it really is a kingdom in which I'm sitting here ruling over. (laughs) And uh, we can get lost there. No, it's also the world where, you know, we're center stage. We're the star in our own movie. I remember being in, in Burma once, and there was this young woman there, and she was just thrilled about watching herself be the star in her, in her movie. <laughs> you know? You have the limelight. It's seductive. I found retreats to be just really helpful in kind of breaking this enchantment with the thoughts. You know, especially long retreats. And some of you here are are here for good chunks of time. Um, Yeah. And, you know, it was just to see how the mind would just weave a story about anything. Uh, Just the littlest things. And... I remember, you know, I was in Burma. I was there for five and a half months in meditation, in really intensive practice. And then, you know, four four or five months into it, I just, it was like disbelief that, you know, one little thing would happen and this whole little creation of this thought world around it. And, you know, continually telling myself these stories. Whatever happened, there's a little story to tell here. Now, I think we we could all have careers as storytellers. But but just to see that. And then, you know, not to be daunted by it. To to find that relationship with it that is accepting. But the, you know, it's not the collapsing resignation, which you know, could either mean that we um, just are in despair, or it could mean that we just grab onto it and run with it. But just that momentary acceptance, this is what's present. This is what's here now. There comes just a spaciousness in which all of these thoughts can move through. And we just begin to see 
that awareness is unaffected by it. Know that it's not tainted by that angry, violent, harsh thought. It's unmoved. It recognizes that this awareness has the spaciousness to let it all be. And so the big storm clouds move through, the gentle patter of the rain, the sun. It all moves through. We begin to see how, you know, that the mind just, you know, as these clouds pass through, it appears a certain way. But we don't define ourselves by that. It's not the sum total of who we are. It's a passing appearance in the mind. And we just keep looking to that awareness that knows, that sees. An awareness that is uncreated, unfabricated. Awareness that is there. only needing to be recognized, even in the midst of these whirlwind thoughts. So letting go of the stories, the chatter, by letting these be, these thoughts. Just allowing these thoughts to move through space, to move through awareness. in the moments of grasping, to use that as a place of inquiry, investigation, looking to see what's happening, what's the hook, the bait. looking in these moments to see the nature of thought. The conditioned nature of thought. The insubstantial nature of thought. Thinking a natural capacity of the mind, finding that healthy, friendly, 
relationship to. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings find a friendly relationship with the thinking mind and come to know the nature of thought. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.